Good morning, everyone. Isn't that weather just wonderful outside? How about it, right? Welcome to the fourth and final week of this series that we've called A Gathering to Learn or A Gathering to Burn. And we're in John 15, verses 1 through 8, and we've been ripping and rolling right through it the first three weeks. We've talked about that that first week, the great misconception, into the second week of the great mistake, and then last week we covered a great misery. We've talked about the vine being Christ, the vineyard keeper or the tiller of the soil being God the Father. We've talked about the difference between the victorious and those, the, the vast majority that will be perishing in the end. And the one thing that separates us is being in the vine, right? The vine gives us what we need. The vine is what springs forth the genuine acts of service which won't burn in the refiner's fire because we're all well aware in the room, right? It all passes through the fire one day. And the only thing that remains is what was genuine, what was true, what was done in love in the name of the Lord Jesus, what was sincere, what had no motive attached to it other than glorifying God. And today we meet back in this idea in this fourth and final week. And today we'll talk about a great motivation. A great motivation. Two words will pop up in the text. I want to get quick definitions biblically of these two words. The first word we'll come to is prove. Prove or genomai. To become, to come into existence, to begin to be, or to demonstrate the truth or existence of something by evidence or argument. It's undeniable in that moment, right? It's become this. It was this. Now it's this. Disciples. Mathetes, a learner, a pupil, or a student, hence the series, learning or burning? Which one are we? Now, I would predominantly say, and I would always come back to the fact that if we aren't pupils, the problem is probably our pride, because if we've come to an understanding that God is greater, God is sovereign, God is who he actually says he is, that Christ is the Lord of not only our lives, but the Lord of it all, and one day we all bow with the name of Jesus, right? If we come to these understandings, how could we not know that we will never know everything God knows on this side of earth? And God's word says we can ask for wisdom. He gives it generously without finding fault. In Ephesians 1, Paul prays for the church of Ephesus, and he says God wants to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, right? All-knowing God, way no, knowing way more than what we will ever know, and the only thing that hinders and hurts probably most of our pupiling is pride because we've got a lot to learn we all have a lot to learn if god is the goal then every one of us under the sun have growing up to do always until the day we see jesus face to face and so now is a time where we get to do that together we come underneath the Word of God knowing the Word of God is the Word of life. It is a life-giving message. It is profitable, right, for teaching, for instructing, for correcting, for exhorting, that we might go out and do that which we're called to do. It should be the motivating factor of the follower of Christ. Like David said, I hid your Word in my heart that I wouldn't sin against you. It's literally depositing the words of Christ within our souls, within our person, because how many people have experienced this to be true? 
it always comes back at just the right moment. Sometimes it might be seven years after it deposited into your soul, into your heart, and all of a sudden out of your mouth you say it or you pray it. And it's like, I, I, I didn't even know that was there. But the Bible says that God watches over his word to perform it perfectly in our lives. Right? The word became flesh. There's a lot to this. Today, as we talk from this idea of great motivation in John 15, 7 through 8, as we talk about this idea of proving, how many people realize that there are a lot of people that live their life feeling like they have something to prove? Right? The only person that we should be striving to please or prove anything to is the one that we'll see eye to eye in the end who has a decision over the destination of our souls. We've got nothing to prove. Who are we proving it to? Right? Who do we have anything to prove to? Or, as one really deep, logical thinker told me one time, if they don't believe you now, they probably won't believe you later. Takeaway from today's message is going to be this. When the word of God is what motivates us, God gives us his ear to hear our prayers and grace that is great enough to conquer anything. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when the word of God, the son of God, and the spirit of God are all well within the follower of Christ, the creation of God, which is you and I, that there is just something amazing which lives now within us. That same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave, right? The grace, the mercy, the peace, the love, the joy, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control. It's all accessible now. It's all there, right? And Paul, as he's telling us about the full armor in Ephesians 6, what does he say? You got one offensive piece. It's the word. It's the word. Jesus, John 15, 7 through 8, says it like this. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful this morning to be gathered in the realm of your forgiveness and in your reality, not ours. Father, with you, things are so much different than they are in the horizontal in the here and the now. And it's so easy to get lost in our surroundings here in this life and forget that. But as we meet in this realm of understanding, in which your Holy Spirit inundates and infiltrates and saturates and permeates the beings which are gathered here to be with you, God, would you grow us deeper? Would you strengthen our faith? Would you help, here, help us to leave here exhorted, encouraged, challenged, instructed? And right now, Father, for those with sincerity and genuineness within, would you help us to get out of the way of you? Would you help us to receive, to learn to live life underneath your words, surrendered to your will, 
for your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen and amen. So I want to kind of recap this because next week we'll be moving on. And if you don't know yet, I will be preaching my favorite Bible story of all time next month. Okay? The sermon series is When Pigs Fly. Okay? And we're going to have some cliffs, and we're going to have animals die. No, okay, we won't do all that maybe. But but for now, as we wrap this up, I want to give us a great summary, a great review of what happens and is happening in the Gospel of John. The previous chapters before John 15, verse, uh, chapters 1 through 11, there are seven signs that Jesus performs, right? He performs all these signs in the presence of witnesses. As he's performing these signs, those seven signs, he's also achieving something else. With several signs comes several enemies. Lots of enemies, lots of opposition, lots of adversity. Does it surprise you to know that the same war that Jesus was in is the same war that we'll be in because he lives within us as followers of Christ? It's not a personal thing. It's nothing new under the sun. The devil doesn't hate you. He's mad at who lives inside of you. And so therefore, we see Jesus walk through a war. We see him go through the opposition, the hostility at the temple, at the, at the tabernacles, at the holy places. God in the flesh, rejected by God's people, performing signs and miracles and wonders, spending most of his ministry trying to avoid capture from the temple police who want him arrested. They don't like his behavior. He's not doing the do's. And, and those, those look like do-nots to me. On the run, Jesus is, and in John 12, he begins preparing the disciples for his death on the cross. He starts making the prediction of his death. It's imminent, right? It's coming some chapters away, some little time away. I am going to die. I am going away. You will have the Holy Spirit. It will look sad. It will look sorrowful, but you'll be filled with the Spirit, and you'll have real everlasting joy. These people might think they're happy for a second when they see me die, but man, they're in for a trick because when I rise again, we win. John 13 and 14 gives Passover details, prediction of Judas' betrayal and Peter's denial, and the promise of the Holy Spirit, which leads us now into John 15. This teaching, the vine, the branches. Now, as we walk through these last two verses of this teaching, we're really going to see three things I feel that we can conclude from the text, number one is a conditional promise. Conditional promise. The word if is what starts. Verse 7. If, right? Parents, you ever throw the if around? Choosy moms might choose Jif, but choosy dads, we got the if. You know what I'm saying? You go see mom for the peanut butter, you come see me for the pinochles. The conditional promise. Jesus says, if you remain in me, 
if you abide, remember that word abide, we've been talking about it for a few weeks, if you look like me, don't become different, don't become detached, don't live life apart from, that word abide or remaining in means to look like another, to remain as one, joined and united. If you do this, and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you want, and it'll be done for you. Oh, that's fantastic. That is absolutely fantastic. But I'm going to warn you. The things that you think you might ask him, you won't ask him when you're in him. Does that make sense? I, I got two types of prayers. The first one's my father, forgive me, that's my flesh. And the second one is, in case you don't answer that first one, maybe bless them too, I don't know. If you're taking notes, Christ clearly calls us to do our part. There's an action piece here. This isn't lazy theology. This isn't name it and claim it, blab it and grab it type stuff. This is I'm remaining in him. As he did, I will do. He loved, I love. He served, I serve. He gave himself up, I'm giving myself up. Right? I want to walk with him. I want to live like him to the best of my abilities with the strength that he's given me through the power and person of the Holy Spirit that God might be glorified. But it requires an action step on our part. A lot of people are mad at God when they need to be mad at themselves. Why didn't you? If you would have... I was talking to a guy here on the phone. This is Thursday night, I think. And we were talking about a situation, an individual. And I said, you know what's crazy? As messed up as their life is, if they would have listened to me on those three major decisions that shipwrecked them, they'd be just fine. They'd be just fine. But we want to do what we want to do sometimes. We don't want to remain sometimes. We don't want to abide sometimes. And a lot of people got a messed up way of thinking what abiding looks like, right? So he, here's what abiding is not. Abiding isn't seeing how religious you can be. Abiding isn't trying to look like you have it all under control, that life is pleasant. Let's remember Jesus, right? Sometimes I think I'm dramatic and I'm like, but Peter and Jesus a little bit too. You know, he's like, I'm clearing out the whole temple, wrecking it all. Right? It's Jesus. Comes down from the mountain, there's a transfiguration going on, there's some bickering happening, some people can't even drive a demon out of this kid, and he's like, what are you, what are you guys still arguing about? How much longer do I have to be with you? 
If that doesn't make you feel like, oh, he's just so warm and fuzzy, I don't know what will. Abiding is not anything about trying to be. Because then we're not abiding. We are modifying at best. Abiding is being spirit-driven, spirit-led. It, it doesn't require that heavy lifting on our part. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, hey, come to me. You're weary, you're heavy laden, you're burdened. I give you rest, right? My yoke is light. My burden is easy, right? I don't have this heavy-fitting stuff like religion does. If you're doing stuff in the name of Jesus and it's hard, I would ask you, is Jesus in your heart? Because the Jesus stuff is actually pretty fun. It really is. There's nothing better than being able to see people get set free. There's nothing better than to be in somebody's encouragement on a dark day. There's nothing better than being able to serve somebody else, understanding in your mind, I'm not serving because of anything I have, because I'd have nothing without the grace of God. A conditional promise. Christ clearly calls us to do our part. Number two, a complete pursuit. A complete pursuit. If our motivation is to grow in Christ and glorify God, we get the good stuff. If my heart is in pursuit of Christ, it's in pursuit of growth, it's in pursuit of the will of God, we get the good stuff. Look what he says here. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Two requirements, right? One, I'm in Christ. Number two, his words are literally embedded in my heart. At the end of the days, when the final autopsy is done on our souls, it will sing to God the scriptures tattooed all over our heart. And he says, if, if you got this going on, listen to what he says. Ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. Oh my gosh. Has American Christianity not killed so much of this? Have we not? You know, before you know it, we'll have pastors' wives driving new chargers and stuff. We don't watch out. She's like, sorry, we can't afford two house payments. Honey, you're getting a bicycle. I'm like, sweet. In Psalm 37, it says something like this. It says, trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Right? A lot of people like that part. We're like, God's going to give me the desires of my heart. A false God will. They really will. Right? They will lie to you. They will manipulate you. They will deceive you. What's the whole story on sin? Over promise, under deliver every time. This will make you happy. 
This is it. This is the answer. Now, Jesus, here he is. He's saying, hey, disciples, anything you ask, my word's in you. You're in me. You got it. Good to go. It'll be done. Now, let's think about this. If the word is in our hearts, right? At that point, it has broken down the walls of pride. It has emptied us more of ourselves and filled us more with God. And how many people can truly say that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt, maybe you're not perfect, but God has changed me a lot. See, the problem with American Christianity is everybody's so happy to have salvation, but they won't say yes to sanctification. That hurts! That's painful! I don't get what I want when I want it. I gotta do something now. I gotta give. I gotta love. I gotta, that requires a me thing. And you can't have salvation without accepting sanctification. Because when you're saved, you make a declaration that will destroy you until our Lord returns. Jesus Christ is Lord. You know what that profession means? It means you will be absolutely miserable when you're not doing what your boss wants you to do. How many of you guys have ever worked at a job and you thought you hated the boss, but come to find out you were just a terrible employee? <laughs> and you know what happens? When you're a terrible employee, you can do one of two things. You can fix it, get coaching, become better, right? Be honest. Work hard, serve hard, do what you need to be doing, do what the job requires. Or you can do the American way and deflect. If my boss wasn't a jerk, right? If this person wasn't, in the end, they ain't going to be there with you. It's going to be you and God and the only thing that's going to matter is what did you do with the life that Christ gave you when he laid down his life for you? What did you do from that regenerated spirit? What was true? What was lovely? What was noble? What was excellent? What was praiseworthy? And what was just for you? I feel you, Vincent. A conditional promise with a complete pursuit. The pursuit has to come on our part. We have to do our part. And Christ says, amazing things will happen. How many people know God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore? Yes? Do miracles still happen? I'm alive. There's number one. Right? A lot of people... 
start getting a shallow perspective of an infinite God because their pride prevents them from opening their minds to a greater picture and they narrow God into a finite being. God is way bigger than even my big size seven and five eighths head can even wrap around. Lastly, number three, constant proof. A conditional promise, if, if you remain in me, if my words remain in you, if you download this into your heart, if these words take root within you, if you yield, ask whatever you want, God's got you. It'll be done. And he closes this little teaching in verse 8, and he says something that I will call constant proof. Constant proof. My Father is glorified by this. God is glorified by this. That statement makes me feel like that encapsulates what God wants for our lives. Fair enough? This is it. You're nothing else. Zoom in for this. This is important. Well, what is it, Jesus? That you produce much fruit. Remember fruit? Carpas? right? The seed gives way to that which it's affected and what becomes affected by the seed then springs forth and from it comes all these vines and these branches and all this good stuff starts to bloom and blossom, right? But it comes from the seed. It doesn't come from myself. It doesn't come from somebody else. It doesn't come from people pleasing. It doesn't come, come from religion. It doesn't come from I want to be a better person. It doesn't come from self-help books. It comes from genuine Jesus within me. And now the fruit, carpas, the works done with the seed activating the work. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit, and here it is, prove. 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 To demonstrate the truth or existence of something by evidence or argument. Right? Okay. You guys heard my bad story? Part two. My wife calls me Monday. She's like, they're back. And so I'm like, ACDC, back in black. What's going on? Like the bat is in the house. It's swirled by my head. I'm like, dude, I said, this is a Jesus deal. You got to sweep that house and keep them out or they bring all their friends. Ten times stronger. So I haven't been in the attic of our new cabin yet. When I'm telling you this, I'm not kidding you. It is a space in the attic about that to maneuver maneuver around in, right? So you know what's going down up there. Keep in mind, my knees don't shift ways, okay? Like, if I see it, I grab it and I choke it, whatever it is. Hopefully it's not a kid up there hiding. Because I don't know. And at first I get up there and I'm like, looks decent. Oh my gosh, my knees. 
I, I can't move. I'm trapped. I get out of the thing finally, and I'm like, Mandy, am I bleeding? She's like, why? I was like, those roofing nails were like sticking in my head. But there was a point. How many people know bats really aren't that big? So it's kind of tricky, right? Like, I think I got this Batman persona in my mind. I'm like, I'm going up there, six foot six, 350, stepping out, and he's fighting me like a man. Wasn't the case. And I'm like, I got it. Take my badge up there with me, just in case. And I'm like, freeze! Right? Dead in my sights, man. I call bats beepers now because they chirp. But I saw him. And it became evident he was there. You know, the Bible says that light shines on darkness. And God has a way of revealing what's really there. And we can run, and we can climb. And we can even do the Zacchaeus thing where we hide up in a tree only to have Jesus plot on us the whole time. Get down here, boy. Now we look at this constant proof from an angle of this. We have nothing to prove to the world, but within us, if God is in us, God in us wants the world to know that he is God. To know that he is who he says he is. That there is hope for forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation and second chances. And they don't have to be the sum total of their sins anymore. They aren't failures. They aren't mess ups. They aren't mistakes. They aren't all these bad things that society has spoken over them. They aren't sum total of a generational curse anymore. They can serve a chain breaking God. And it happens by how you and I live amongst people. It happens by where our gaze really is. And Jesus says, when you produce this fruit, you prove to be my disciple. You prove to be a pupil. Every pupil, right? Every pupil is following the principles of their teacher that they're being taught, right? All of a sudden, we look at the parables more different. We look at the illustrations more different. We've got our eyes wide open. We've got our hearts wide open. If he said it, it's important. I'm literally learning now. I'm not over it. I don't know better. I don't care how many times I've read it. It's still bigger than I am. Constant proof, the evidence of becoming, leads others to believe. If you're taking notes, we prove God's existence to people when we are doing, when what we are doing does two things. A, it begins with God's guidance to do it. Right? 
I ain't doing this to look cool. I ain't doing this because they think I should do this. I ain't doing this to prove a point. I I ain't got no dogs in the fight. The only thing in the fight is the Spirit of God that's called me. And I'm following. I'm pursuing. I'm in the complete pursuit because I know the conditional promise. The promise isn't for everyone, is it? While Christ died for all, all don't go to heaven. But make no mistakes about it. When Christ is fully revealed, all will wish they would have accepted the invitation that would have got them to heaven. A, it begins with God's guidance to do it. I'm doing what I do now because I'm genuinely compelled by the Spirit. I'm motivated by the Spirit. God is calling me to this. I'm not fighting it. I'm not forcing it. I'm not even worried about if I'm feeling it. Because Romans 11 says that the gifts of God are without repentance. There are a lot of things you can tell God you're sorry for. But to not use the working of the Holy Spirit that He's placed well within you is not one thing he will accept. The gifts and the call of God are without repentance. What does that mean? God ain't changing his mind. God is giving you a clear direction. How many of you guys have tried to avoid a direction God's given you, and later on, here it comes again? And later on, here it comes again. And it's miserable until you yield, is it not? It is absolutely miserable. I don't even try to not do stuff anymore when I feel that small nudge. You know, because I'll mess around. This is the kind of stuff God does. You know, I, I, I messed around one day and I ended up down, I'm all the way down in Columbia before I realized, dude, I left that dude hanging back there 30 miles back, so now my trip got that much longer. I go 30 miles back. You know why? I'd rather take that 30 minutes and go those 30 miles and have the condemnation of the enemy lurking on me. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation is the consequence for the sin that we participate in. James 4.17 says, if you know that to do what is good and you don't do it, it is what? You know to do it and it's good, you ain't doing it, you're sinning. And when you sin, so comes the enemy. So comes Satan. A lot of people are like, I ain't done anything bad, but have you done anything good? And when I say good, only God is good, so it was really rooted in him. And it was for his glory. We prove God's existence to people when we are doing when what we are doing does two things. A, it begins with God's guidance to do it. B, it ends with doing it genuinely without wanting anything in return. I'm not doing this for any other reason but God to be glorified, Christ to be edified, and the Spirit to be magnified so people can come to know who and what I've come to know. That's the the motive. 
A great motivation, right? It's the Word of God being inside of me. God hears me. I'm asking Him whatever I want. I'm watching Him parting. How many of you guys literally can see this when you pray? He parts the seas. He makes a way when there is none. It seems impossible. And God's like, yeah, we're going to kick that I am right out the front of that. We're going to make this possible. And what changed? Because God didn't. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The posture of our heart. The position of our praise. The meditation of our mind. Remaining in him and his words now remaining in me. I'm now craving his word. I hunger for his word. I feast on his word. His word is life. And I close with this most importantly. Worship team coming up. We can know where we stand with God. Are you aware of that? This scripture reveals to us that we can know beyond certainty where we stand with God. He says, you'll prove to be my disciples. Pupils prove to be recipients of the reward. When you're learning, you'll know you're learning. When you're growing, you'll know you're growing. When you're in the spirit, you'll know you're in the spirit. When you see change, you know it's change. I ask you this question, are you a pupil heading to heaven or prideful and heading to hell? What could be stunning your growth? What's blocking your progress? Why aren't you growing? There are a million reasons you might give for your lack of growth. I just ain't being fed. You lazy. You're lazy. If that's your statement, you are lazy as lazy as lazy. I got a four-month-old that it makes sense that she needs to be fed. A 40-year-old, you're a baby. We need to grow up, don't we? We need to grow up to go up. We have to lose it to gain it. What's blocking your growth? What's hindering your process? What could be getting in your way? Now I want to read something. Brandon's going to make this really spiritual. I know he will for me. There's a person in our presence that recently received Christ. And I gave him some homework. And I said, there are three things that I'd like for you to write down for me. By that one note that you and I used to play when we were playing WCW and end up, no, okay. I said, your, your childhood belief, number one, your behaviors as a child. Number two, when did you know beyond certainty Jesus Christ is your Lord? Number three, how did or has this impacted your life? And here are his responses. Number one, as a child, I was a shy kid. I didn't have much interaction skills. I would say I would have to get comfortable with people around me before acting like myself. Being calm was an effort for me as a kid. I'm not sure why, but my mom said I had or have ADHD. Church was a sometimes thing with my family. God and Jesus was an often saying I heard around me. I'm sure that if somebody would have taken time to explain God to me, I would be able or would have been able to comprehend it. Wasn't too sure on what to believe as a kid, but I wouldn't say that I was or my family was against God. My beliefs on God and the devil were pretty small. I thought heaven was over the clouds and hell was underground. Number two, the moment I realized Jesus was my savior, even after hearing things as a child growing up, was so terrifying to me. 
it was something about so much disbelief going on in my head. The year was 2020, 2021, ending of December, start of January. As normal, I needed a blunt, which is marijuana, I believe, to calm my nerves, but at the time I was trying to slow down on smoking in general. I had just moved back from St. Louis into the country. I was stressed and depressed. On top of that, I was so confused, and I'm still a little bit, but I have a lot more knowledge on where I need to go. But at the time, I was thinking on a money scheme. Also, how was I going to get a job and what transportation I was going to use? It was all too much going through my head. I felt like ending it all but I came inside after a smoke session, sat on my bed, not too sure what led me to, but I started to curse God, and I did it. I laughed about it. I noticed that it wasn't me saying it. I felt scared in terror, and almost immediately I started shaking and holding on to my knees, swaying back and forth. In that very moment, I realized I was being controlled by something evil, by attempting to find out about God, not even knowing what I was doing. God was watching and seeing my efforts, even through all of my evil I had committed myself, so he knows that I was really trying to find him. And I believe that's why he touched me and saved me. So I've been for him ever since he saved me from drowning. Number three and lastly, this new finding has been crazy. Many don't believe my change, and you know it's hard to even believe it myself, but I know that God is real now, and he is looking after me, and he is protecting me. And I say that to say this, we have an enemy. There is a real life devil. His goal is still the same. He wants to devour whoever he may. He likes likes you in disparage. He likes you in depression. He likes when you feel defeated. He wants you to give up. But you know what? The spirit of God within the follower of God is greater than anything the enemy can ever throw at us. So as we come together and as we praise, we do heaven a service and we do hell a disservice by reminding one another, Jesus Christ is still on the throne. the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And he did defeat the devil on the third day when he rose from the grave. Our God is able. Our God is faithful. Our God is love. Our God is forgiveness. And in the presence of God, in the power of God, with the provision of God, God does miracles. Do you believe it? What's holding you back? What's blocking your progress? If it's the devil, God tells you what to do. Submit yourself to God and resist him in the name of Jesus, and he will flee. How many people are with me this morning? Devil, get the heck up out of here. Get the heck up out of here. I ain't having that. Not on my watch, not on my time, not on my clock. This is not the devil's time. This is a time I've set aside to praise my Savior. I'm casting the thoughts. I'm casting the cares. I'm casting the anxiety. I'm laying it all down to lift Jesus up. How about you? Right now is a time where we let our light shine. And just like that bat, God sees us. 
No creature is hidden from God's sight. And regardless of what you're going through, don't believe the enemy's lie. He's promised you he'll never leave or forsake you. Amen? He is with you. And greater is he who lives in us than anything or anyone, including the little G God of this world. Let's stand. Let's declare. And may our praise be sweeter than Luke's nice beer.